<laughs> Am I stronger yet? No. Hold on. Let, let me let me test. Let me try lifting this uh, lifting this paperweight. <laughs> when did paperweights get this heavy? Oh, um, spinach is no substitute for a balanced diet, kids. Nope, it is not. But it is high in iron. <laughs> True. <laughs> There are too many cartoons, but they'll watch them all. The penny and James to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. Hello once again, everyone. I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. Welcome once again to the Pemmy and James kind of sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. And this June... It is all about E.C. Seeger's Popeye. He's strong to the finish because he eats his spinach and seemingly doesn't have any serious medical conditions from just eating his spinach. But he's Popeye the Sailor Man. Yes. Though it is worth mentioning that in the E.C. Seeger comics, he actually does eat stuff other than spinach in comparison to the cartoon. Yeah. I imagine we just don't see him eating much else in the cartoon. Because they're just short. Well, even when he does eat stuff that's in the cartoons that, like, stuff that's just not him just, you know, opening a can of spinach, it's usually like he'll order spinach soup or something like that. It's like, what? But I think that started more in the, like, famous area and, and then just kind of kept on after that because I'm pretty sure I recall him eating stuff that's not spinach in the uh, in the Flesher shorts, so. All right. But that's where our story almost begins. We have to go back a little further to E.C. Seeger's Thimble Theater, first appearing in the year 1919 in the New York Journal, which originally centered around Harold Ham Gravy and Olive Oil. And Olive Oil's brother, Castor Oil. Yes, the strip started as a gag-a-day premise when Seeger started weaving longer tales and side character Castor Oil soon became the de facto lead with his various get-rich-quick schemes. One such scheme, first published in 1929, saw them sailing to Dice Island to outfox a crooked gambler, for which they needed to hire a sailor. They ask a fellow at the docks if he's a sailor, to which this one-eyed, pipe-chomping figure in a sailor's uniform with anchor tattoos on his massive biceps clips, Do you think I'm a cowboy? (laughs) This, of course, is Popeye. From there, that character became huge, to the point to where... E.C. Seger didn't know what he had, and after he'd done the whole Dice Island story, and even though he got a lot of comedic moments from Popeye and practically had Popeye save everybody, he still, like, kind of threw Popeye away after the story arc was over because he thought he was a one-and-done character, but so many people demanded he bring back the Sailor character that, well, he had no choice. Yeah, he was brought back a mere five weeks after what was supposed to be his one-and-done story ended. And from there, he just grew to the point to where he it he took over the Thimble Theater. Within a decade, Castor and Harold were discarded from the strip, and Popeye became the main, but not only, romantic figure opposite Olive Oil. The Thimble Theater began spreading to a great many more newspapers in the process, via King Features Syndicate. Seeger soon rebuilt the cast of the strip around this duo, introducing the likes of Jay Wellington Wimpy, Sweet Pea, Eugene the Jeep, George W. Giesel, and many more over time. It's worth mentioning Caster still pops in every once in a while. 
Ham Gravy, on the other hand, now he's gone. <laughs> Upon Seeger's passing in 1938, a succession of writers and artists maintained Thimble Theater and a Popeye-centric spinoff, titled simply Popeye, the latter of which still runs to this day with the weekday editions as reruns of classic stories and new entries on Sunday by High Eisman. At least that was the case until just very recently. Future James here jumping in with a quick update and stealing this bit from the Tim Tracker. High Iceman has retired from creating comics at the glorious age of 95 years old, leaving a decades-long legacy at King Features and elsewhere. Taking over the Popeye comic is Randy Milholland, creator of the webcomic series Something Positive, and his first Sunday Popeye comic ran on June 5th. And that was actually pretty good, I think. It also went through a rather weird period in the 80s, and that's all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) Fair. But still more fame was on the way. King Features signed a deal with Fleischer Studios and Paramount Pictures in November of 1932. Max and Dave Fleischer founded the studio in 1929, coincidentally the same year Popeye first appeared, having been active in early animation efforts and technology, including rotoscoping, as early as a decade before that. The original animated sex symbol, Betty Boop, was the studio's first star, and thus one of her cartoons was the vehicle intended to debut Popeye and his cast in 1933's Popeye the Sailor. Yeah, it was pretty much uh, it was pretty much just a Popeye cartoon thinly veiled as a Betty Boop, but yes. Yeah, she's only in it for about a third of the cartoon is best, with recycled material from her one hula short, also, is it just me, or did Betty Boop's head look weird? I always thought it looked weird. Um, a little. I, I, it looks better with realistic proportions, I, I find, you know, when you see an actress at Universal Studios portraying the character. I don't know, her head just looks like a misshapen peanut to me, and I don't like it. <laughs> That's beside the point. But yeah, Popeye became even huger, and uh, but the Flesher shorts went for more gag-centric stuff because that's kind of what they do, and because of that, it went from these instead of using the big, long, sprawling storylines for the most part, though occasionally they would weave more stuff from the comics in every once in a while. They mostly focused on the romantic triangle between Popeye, Olive Oil, and a one-time character from the comic, Bluto. Mm-hmm. A Popeye himself would first be voiced by William Costello, but when he became too difficult to work with, in-betweener artist Jack Mercer took over the part and really brought the character to life in 1935. And it's a part he would continue to play until his passing in 1984. Yeah, he was even Popeye in the Hanna-Barbera, an all-new Popeye hour. Yeah, kudos to him for such a long, long, glorious career without his voice ever String, because that's not an easy voice to do. Yeah, go ask Billy West. <laughs> or you can just ask me after I tr- did it just twice for our for the podcast you're going to hear in two weeks. <laughs> but uh, you're not going to mention why the original voice actor got had to be let go? <laughs> well, I, I did say it was because he became a little too difficult, but if you want to give the specifics, go right ahead. Yeah, extreme alcoholism. Oh, made him incorrigible seems to be the exact term that was used by one of the people back then. Um, But yeah, seemingly he was a notorious alcoholic and that was affecting his ability to work. So 
And yeah, Jack Mercer, they just heard him singing the Popeye song outside the, I think it was one of the Fleshers heard him singing the Popeye song outside uh, in one of the halls. And they were just like, you get over here. There was another guy they tried between Mercer and between the original guy and eh, it's not so good. Mm. And then there was one point Mercer was drafted into the war. So for like, I think two shorts, all of Oil's voice actress voiced Popeye. Yeah, Olive Oil's voice actress is Mae Questel, and she was also the original Betty Boop. Yep. And she would take up the voice of Olive Oil for the majority of the theatrical run. She also continued it in the uh, King Features uh, TV shorts. So Indeed. Cannot say the same for the Hanna-Barbera ones, though. Mm. <laughs> they thought her voice got too old, and they actually recasted her. So, now Rounding out the most regular cast members was that overbearing lummox of a sailor, Bluto, who only appeared in the one-story arc, as Pemmy alluded to, for the comics, but would be Popeye's main rival in the cartoons. He was first performed by William Pennell, but most famously by Gus Wickey. He does an amazing job. Yeah, it's, it's worth mentioning, though, that despite Bluto only really appearing in one story arc during Seeger's run, he was a very memorable fight for Popeye because of the fact that like, their fight lasted, I think, somewhere around... Uh, maybe a month or two and this is in comic strips so it's like dragon ball level fight <laughs> now it's jack may and gus plus third fleischer brother lou as jay wellington wimpy who are the central voice performers in the two shorts we're watching today and these are cartoons i would describe as peak fleischer era popeye you really can't beat these there's they're, they're classics for a reason they went all out for these two real, full-color cartoons. The only color cartoons the brothers would create with these characters before things went pear-shaped and Paramount took over the studio, turning it into famous studios after ousting the Fleischers. More on that at the end of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> for right now, we're going to get started with Popeye the Sailor meets Sinbad the Sailor from 1936. Sailor doubled. Introduced as a Popeye color feature, the classic Popeye song transitions to the antagonist's leitmotif as his name scrolls into view. We get our credits in introducing the cast, then we transition to Sinbad's Island. By the way, I like that Wimpy is just listed as the hamburger fiend, Jay Wellington Wimpy. <laughs> now, most Sinbad films of the Ray Harryhausen special effects variety portray this character of the Arabian Nights as a heroic figure. Not so here. And we get our first hint of it with Pemi's least favorite animals lurking about a warning sign. Uh, is it funny that Cobra Commander is my favorite G.I. Joe character and yet I hate snakes? <laughs> yeah, Sinbad has chained up lions, dragons, and other beasties to guard the path to his lair. And when we see him emerge from said lair, it's clearly Bluto playing the part as he slaps a pair of lions into submission. Yeah. Uh, before we get a little further, can I say one more thing about the snakes? Yeah. I could be wrong, but I think one of them looked at me and said, I was once a man. Oh. <laughs> now, right. some production notes. Fleischer Studios, unlike most animation houses of the era, created their animation first, and then dubbed the voices over that, rather than doing the audio, then drawing in time with that. 
Jack Mercer and company would throw in wild asides with no matching lip sync. Some that weren't even in the script. But rather than be a fault or a source of confusion, they just add to the wild charm of this series of cartoons. Yeah, a lot of the ad-libbing is what really makes it great. And it also makes it really kind of feel natural in a way, because it always, the way they, because they're just coming up with it off the top of their heads, it gives it kind of a more natural, less rehearsed conversation sound to it. Mm-hmm. And speaking of voice work, good God, Gus Wicky goes to town here. He is a most remarkable fellow. <laughs> I scare all creation on land or on sea, but talk about women, they all fall for me. I take my adventures wherever they're found. I go on the brag, folks, but I've been around. This is a commanding vocal performance, both speaking and singing. And a big reason this cartoon has stuck with me for years and years in my memory. I also want to say I absolutely love how they did the backgrounds in this. It's so beautiful. We will get there in a very brief second. But first, we, he sings his praises and tells a few gags while generally being mean to his captive creatures. And for the first time in the short, we do indeed see a background that isn't hand-drawn. It's a freaking model of the island, complete with a treasure chest full of diamonds. This was the Fleischer's stereoptical process placing the animation cells in front of the backgrounds to create the optical effect of multiple dimensions. Yeah, and even like when he picks up the treasure and puts it into that, it just looks so amazing. Seamless. Yeah, it's, God, it's so amazing. And it gives it a nice, like, kind of dreamlike quality, too. And these will just keep getting better, not only in this short, but the sequel, too. Now, through the course of this song, we're also introduced to a two-headed giant named Bula, who has been reduced to Sinbad's stooge. He, uh, they, break his, uh, uh, their? I'm never sure what pronoun to use with a two-headed creature. But they break their chains, uh, but still cower before Sinbad. So we're also introduced to the giant rock, the only unchained animal aside from the snakes but also still basically in servitude to Sinbad. I do like how they draw the rock, though. It looks excessively intimidating, even despite Sinbad showing his uh, command over it. Mm -hmm. So Sinbad's about to go into the chorus yet again, and he's interrupted by the familiar refrains of Popeye singing his own song. We get a clever gag with Sinbad's telescope expanding diagonally in one segment to get a better view. And Sinbad spies Popeye, Wimpy, and Olive in the former's humble sailboat. I do love the little, like, slight, uh, the little clever kind of gag of while Popeye is, like, controlling the boat. And it, every time the uh, sailor wheel gets in the way of his pipe, it just raises and then lowers within time with it. Mm-hmm. This is a pretty effective job establishing our hero and his friends. Not to mention Sinbad's desire to make all of his own, as the spyglass effect irises in on her, um, figure? Yeah, I think just the fact she's a woman, because I really <laughs> do not get the attraction to olive oil. And I don't really think she was meant to be attractive in the comics either, but that could just be me. Breaking the telescope, Sinbad demands satisfaction, and just gets the telescope pieces landing on his head. Ha! No! <laughs> Sinbad whistles, not unlike a train, for the rock to wreck the ship, 
but to bring him the woman. The rock winks, and for once, the rock smells what Sinbad is cooking. <laughs> I guess it's time to rock and roll. <laughs> the rock takes off like a modern, for the time, airplane, and its wings animate so fluidly. What an absolute joy to watch, even if it's supposed to be this dangerous thing. Yeah, it, it's a really clever gag how they did animated that and just it's good gag altogether. The ship is wrecked in two blows, and the rock makes off with Olive. And Olive screams for Popeye and to be let go, but quickly thinks better of that last part. <laughs> no, no, don't let go. I, I love what Popeye's first comment is, is like whenever he gets up, he's just like, oh, it's a nice boat we used to have here or something. <laughs> <laughs> Popeye has to rescue Wimpy from the capsizing wreckage, and via his own telescope, Popeye watches Olive try to fight off the big lug of a captor, but to little avail. Never let it be said, she doesn't at least try. Yeah, and uh, if, if we need any feats of strength of Popeye, when he's not eating spinach, oh, you can see that he swims to shore while holding Wimpy. <laughs> Overhead with one hand! Yep. Once they reach land, Popeye processes the warning sign near a cave, and Wimpy, for once, doesn't have to get someone else to supply the duck for a duck dinner. <laughs> for those who don't know, that's a also a running gag from the comic. <laughs> See, Wimpy is a moocher and a scammer, and every time everyone was mad at him, he'd treat them to a duck dinner, and as soon as he gets out of it gets away from them, he'll yell out, You supply the duck! And then just break for it. <laughs> oh, dear. So since Wimpy is following his stomach, and, well, the following the duck, and Popeye reasons his companion isn't much help in a fight anyway, our hero heads into the cave solo. And therein we get one of the most masterful models in this picture. This wonderful cave with stalagmites and all manner of colors. It's so pretty. But before we get to that, I just want to mention I love the animation of Wimpy slowly chasing the the uh, duck with the meat grinder. Mm -hmm. Like he's just expecting to catch up and just grind it right on sight. Feathers and all. <laughs> there, there is a comic where he actually ends up doing that with an entire lion because he was just that desperate for a hamburger. He actually beats up a lion and Popeye comes back to see if he's okay and to save him, and all he sees is tons and tons of hamburgers. Wow. And speaking of lions, Popeye encounters a pair of them in this cave. I, I, I love... Gosh, okay, I, I love how this cave looks so much. Like, all the lighting and everything is just amazing. And, yeah, it's... Gosh, everything looks great. Sorry, I had to... Had to let that out. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. I'm in wholesale agreement. Did you, did you see the alter? The, there's an edited version where someone like put the Castlevania hub and like music over Popeye walking through this cave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want that game now. <laughs> so the lions roar. Popeye roars back. And they're so scared they break their chains just to escape. The the power of fear. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
So Popeye emerges to the surface and hears Olive crying to be saved from from the other side of a big old fortress wall. An old school castle looking wall at that. But Popeye has the drill that can pierce the heavens and or in his fist is the the his fist is the drill that can pierce the heavens, or at least the castle walls, it seems. It's, he literally spins through it. Yeah, after all, who the hell does Sinbad think he is? <laughs> you know what else we could say about that? This was not a drill. Mm, it certainly isn't for Olive, who's being forced to dance. It's that old gunfighting trope of shooting at someone's feet to make them jump wildly. Except Sinbad is shooting buckshot via a pea shooter. And just so fast, and it's pretty much like a freaking gun. Popeye intervenes, Olive rejoices, and Sinbad throws her into the side of a cliff? He's not a nice guy. Clearly not, and now he's gone too far. I, I guess he's the most remarkable fellow in other ways as well. <laughs> just about as Popeye and Sinbad are about to get into it, Wimpy wanders in, still pursuing the same duck with his meat grinder. The duck is looking very concerned now. <laughs> Fortunately for our waterfowl, the duck enters a cave, and Wimpy is forced to resort to his last hamburger, which the duck snatches. Somewhere, the creators of Untitled Goose Game were taking notes. <laughs> so Popeye and Bluto get back in, or I mean Sinbad, get back into their fight. Yep, when we get a reprise of Sinbad's song as he beckons his menagerie to call and response. And we see some animation get recycled, but given all the wild stuff this feature is trying to accomplish, I'm not complaining. Nah, it still looks good and you almost can't even tell. So, Yeah, there's just so much going on with it. And Sinbad messes with Popeye a bit while he sings the bridge of his song. But on the third chorus, he expects Popeye to respond back but Popeye refuses to back down and gives the messing around as good as he takes it. Yep, when Sinbad asks who's the most remarkable fellow, Popeye responds with, Popeye the Sailor Man, and untucks his shirt, which is seemingly an offense. (laughs) So Sinbad punches him off to the rock, and off the rock flies with his potential meal to another island. We don't see the fight. We don't really need to. We just need to see Popeye return with roast rock, with gravy, as he puts it. Yep. Oh, that's one hell of a Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> no kidding. And we then see Bula in the background, signaling what Sinbad throws our hero at next. And Bula sings Popeye the most violent lullaby I've seen, doing his own harmony. Their own <laughs> harmony. I'm still not sure which pronoun to use. Eh, but I, mean, I know they're male, but are, are they an individual or a duo? Or both? I don't know, but I have a hard time understanding a lot of the stuff they're saying. <laughs> Their accent, whatever accent that is, is very thick. <laughs> yeah, chicken fricassicassia! And all that. But they, they give Popeye some punches, some twistings, and... But then they get to fight themselves. <laughs> yeah, all it takes is Popeye slapping both of their faces to get them arguing. And Popeye's back on the attack, knocking a tree down on one head, causing a lump on the other. Nice gag. Yeah. I, I like that Popeye kind of gets weirdly jealous that they're arguing with each other and not fighting him. <laughs> but Popeye gets them to chase, literally chase him under their legs and give them a punch to knock them the heck out. Yeah. 
and shaking the earth in the process. At this point, Sinbad is furious and decides the only way for him to get rid of Popeye is to do it himself. Each and every animal on the island gathers to watch. And as the fight opens with Sinbad bear-hugging Popeye, turning him literally beat red. The sort of visual gag very prominent in early Fleischer shorts, but this specific one wasn't possible without Technicolor. It's actually really well done. The morphing effect is actually really good for old school 2D animation because mm-hmm. he actually literally morphs into it rather than doing the like fade over like effect that they do in like a Looney Tune cartoon for that kind of gag. Yeah. And speaking of Looney Tunes, there's fun bits all over this fight, including Popeye predicting the antics Bugs Bunny would perform upon his his rise to prominence. Goes into one tree trunk, peers out of the other tree trunk. Be it burrowing through the ground. Gives Sinbad a heck of a black eye. Or a good punch to the eye, anyways. But it's not quite enough, because Sinbad is knocking everything out of Popeye. Literally, an anchor, a freaking, like, uh, a boat hook, binoculars. Compass. I'm pretty sure it was in there. Yeah, it's a really good gag. On the ropes, our hero reaches for the spinach, but Sinbad knocks it away, resulting in a struggle where Popeye's pipe is hanging on a tree, so he has his hands free to open and eat the stuff. And when he does, we get his uh, muscles turning into a generator, and he gets a punch in. Mm-hmm. The beatdown commences with Olive even calling shots for this fight. This, this is one of the best fights they've done in, in it, and there's so many like little good, really good moments. I think my favorite moment is when Sinbad just tries to throw the rock at Popeye, and Popeye just punches the rock right back at him like it's freaking nothing. Mm. It eventually ends with Popeye knocking him up to a flagpole, and Sinbad is hanging via a sash, coconut, and a spinach flag. Oh, you, you forgot to mention that Popeye uses his infamous twister punch to take him out. Yeah, that's the shot Olive calls. Yeah, which is twists up his arm and pow! So Popeye asks who the most remarkable, extraordinary fellow is now. And the animals, plus Olive and Wimpy, agree it's him, ending our feature. And it is worth mentioning that, and I sent you a link to this, There, there someone actually took all the sound effects and music from Dragon Ball Z and timed it with that fight scene, and it works. And mm-hmm. it's kind of amazing. Seemingly the person did that just because they say they were wanting to prove that Popeye was a shogun manga. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, footage from this short would be recycled into the famous studio cartoon, Big Bad Sinbad, as would footage from the following two into other shorter shorts with redubbed dialogue. And the original, from 1936, would be nominated for an Academy Award, but lost to who else but Walt Disney. Of course. Yep, for the short, The Country Cousin. Which is... Also... We mentioned stop-motion animation mastermind Ray Harryhausen earlier in the description, and this feature would in fact influence him when he did his movie, The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. Nice. Uh, was, I'm just thinking for a second, did, did Disney get the most Academy Awards for their short subjects, or was it Tom and Jerry? Because Tom and Jerry got a lot of them, too. I'm not 100% sure, but I know it got to, so bad to a point that uh, Schleisinger of uh, Termite Terrace fame 
had to write to the Academy to say, hey, no knock on what Disney's doing, but look at what the rest of us are doing too, and not just me. I, like I said, I know Tom and Jerry got quite a few of them, so. Yeah. Uh, let's see. People just like cats and mouse beating the crap out of you. <laughs> I um, guess so. When we return, we will have the immediate follow-up. Stay tuned. And now, these messages. On the next Pemmy and James podcast, Popeye Month continues with a look at the first televised cartoons created for the famous Sailor. King Features commissioned seven animation studios to turn out over 200 cartoons in the early 1960s, and the results encompassed every possible definition of wild we can come up with. Prepare for some massive mood whiplash in two weeks, folks. And now, The Popeye Show! The response to Sinbad was such that another feature in this format was the biggest no-brainer of the decade. So what are you going to do for an encore? Well, there certainly were another thousand nights to visit, but if we're being truthful, the general public still only knows three tales that Scheherazade weaved for her paranoid Sultan Paramour. Having done one, Sinbad, they turned to another, the tale of Ali Baba and the Forty Thebes. This time, though... Since the 40 Thieves are much clearer antagonists, Popeye effectively takes Alibaba's place in the story, and Bluto becomes the lead thief, Abu Hassan. I, I want to say that uh, the, the way they draw the thieves feel really in line uh, with a lot of the E.C. Seger drawings. Now, to open our short, as if to show that we know we have a big task on our hands following up Sinbad, the opening credits features an articulated model. Now, I'm sure they were just going with the open sesame motif of the Alibaba story, but still, this is the right degree of more elaborate. Yeah, it even got a skull in the foreground. And since they know what worked last time, we open with Gus Wicky singing another boastful song, with authority thieves backing him up as they ride off on another raid. Then we switch over to Popeye, who is now a member of the Coast Guard, and seemingly so is Wimpy, which is... The idea of Wimpy having a job is the most unbelievable thing to ever happen in one of these shorts. <laughs> sure. And as Popeye paces, whenever he reaches Olive, she gives him a kiss, and Popeye bounces in shock while shouting military jargon. It's a really cute gag. <laughs> I just love how they animate it. Wimpy's in the boat eating. What else? When the alert about Abu Hassan comes in, and he's been seen that away. Emphasized when Wimpy asks which way with a ghostly hand emerging from the speaker, which promptly eats Wimpy's burger. Nope. Popeye is in such a hurry to get on the job that he almost leaves Olive behind. Yeah, I think he makes a comment that this is no no job for a woman or something like that, but mm. it was the them times. It was the times. Uh, then his uh, amazing speedboat becomes a airplane. Yeah, apparently it's a seaplane. And in a funny bit of business, we see the globe at a distance and Popeye's craft searching all over the place as he mutters, Maybe we should check across the street! Bandits here? <laughs> no. <laughs> Eventually, they crash land right in a desert, and we get a good, dramatic, positively epic shot of the trio crossing the desert. Another model shot via the stereoptical process, over the course of day and night. 
and featuring some great music work too. Yep. Eventually with uh, Wimpy seeing a mirage. Yeah. Now Popeye's taking the whole thing in stride, even if he wishes there was a boardwalk on this beach. (laughs) But his companions aren't doing well at all. This is where Wimpy sees the mirage and, well, let's let Popeye speak for himself here. You know, that's just one of those invisible garages that you can't see on the desert. That's all it is. And then they find a traffic light, which they obey. I love that the response to the light, like, going red is to them just to take a nap on the site. Now, don't forget, around this time, traffic lights were still somewhat new and novel. So while it's amusing today, it must have been gut-bustingly funny in its original context. But the gags don't stop there. No, we get a mildly disturbing gag of Olive passing out and Popeye morphing her into a camel to try to help her along. Yeah, then both she and Wimpy collapse... And Popeye uses them and himself to form an improvised tank tread. Which is a rather clever bit of animation, I must add. <laughs> Mercifully, he guides him to a town with a reasonably modern water pump. Now, I know it's for a gag, but it's kind of nice that the Fleischers aren't depicting the locals of this Arabian region as completely behind the times. I also like the animation effect of how, like, Popeye's sprays them with the water and their first instinct is no 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 and then like oh yes 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 (laughs) i I think that would be like the most natural response to you being sprayed with water yeah i mean they're essentially drinking from a water hose yep so once they're refueled popeye sees a wanted sign for abu hassan and decides that's their goal after they get some cafe nice little gag when they get inside that's a really big bowl of sugar (laughs) hmm now inside, of course, Wimpy can't resist the smell of the food. And Popeye and Olive are waited on by... Uh, a gibberish-speaking local with a menu and nonsense symbols that he has to fold to make it read bacon and eggs. The Fleischers yeah. giveth, and they taketh away. I do like the gag of when Popeye starts demanding food, and he like hits the table, and all the sh- sugar cubes come out, and he hits the table again, and they all go back inside. <laughs> <laughs> cute gag now such jokes such as the the gibberish standing in for arabic were considered appropriate back then and admittedly the bacon and eggs part and the animation itself wouldn't be the problem if they'd used the authentic language but they're a little uncomfortable now it is worth at least giving some defense in the fact that learning about other customs wasn't exactly the easiest back then in comparison to now that we have the internet. So True, true. And if we're also being honest, this is still far better than a lot of the contemporaries being done at other studios. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's still some uncomfortable stuff in this, but yeah, I've seen far worse. <laughs> So our duo get their bacon and eggs and are just about to dig in when the warning comes in over the radio. Again, another modern convenience. Yep. But the notice is that Hassan is on his way right that moment, complete with a reprise of his song as sung by the radio announcer. You're just that well known that you're the top of the charts. Yeah. The locals hide as best they can, even the inanimate objects. They also take away all of Popeye's and Olive's food right before they eat it. <laughs> Which is sad, because for, like, animated drawn food, that looked really good. <laughs> yeah. And Abu Hassan himself does the next verse, 
and I'm about to complain about reused animation, when this time, they add the horses singing too. A for effort, says I. And they all come in, they storm the cafe, and pretty much take everything that's not attached. Yeah. The thieves take a very verbose running inventory too. Hot dog! Hot dog! They even take all of uh, the sausages Wimpy was going to eat right before he was eating them. Or right as he was about to eat them. Exactly, hence, hot dog! Yep. Popeye stops San himself from running off with all his clothes. That's fair. No one wants to see Popeye without clothes, let's be honest. Except <laughs> well, maybe, maybe Olive. Olive. Yeah. As they're about to duel, Popeye disarms Hassan with a penknife gag. Then we get some classic Fleischer visual gag work here, accumulating with Hassan trapping Popeye with a light fixture. I, I do do want to mention one of the gags where uh, Hassan sh- shows his fist to Popeye and it pulls out like freaking iron rivets and Popeye's hand just turns into a jackhammer and put, puts down all of his rivets. Mm-hmm. It's a good gag. And the thievery continues, including gold teeth right out of a man's mouth. And Olive, who was hiding in a vase. Didn't know what the heck is going on. But gets a boot shoved on her head. And even that boot doesn't completely silence her. Nope. Wimpy's caught too. But in the oven he was hiding in, he doesn't seem to mind so long as he has food. Well, that's Wimpy for you. Mm -hmm. So Popeye frees him. Self frees himself and finds his finds the fastest camel he can find, or the first camel he can find. And yeah, fills it up with gas. Yeah, we get more brilliant Jack Mercer banter of the whole process until, including at the gas station, with boy, you eat up a lot of gas for only a two cylinder. <laughs> the gas gets the camel going so fast, Popeye outraces the thieves to their hideout. And the camel never changes expression, which is another fun gag. Yep. But Popeye's attempt to ambush him doesn't work because, well, they have a secret entrance they use. Yep. We get the classic open sesame and then close sesame right in Popeye's face. And Popeye tries it himself to no affirmative result via a bunch of mangled versions of the phrase bad enough that it's almost like Homestar Runner trying to guess Strongbad's computer password. <laughs> but then he that. uses his pipe as a blowtorch. And that works. It's a violation for having no exit you can get into. <laughs> and oh, again. Oh, the model work for the backgrounds. This looks so good. All that treasure. I also just like the animation of like the like, the screen is almost scrolling too fast, so he has to do quick tiptoes and catch up. It's like, <laughs> oh, I gotta give all this treasure back to the people they stole it from. Tip, 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 tip. Oh, look at all this stuff. Tip, tip, tip. <laughs> he eventually finds what's become of his friends. Olive is now forced to do laundry for 40 men. Yuck. And Wimpy's chained up, forced to watch Bluto eat all of the food right in front of him. Yeah. Though even in chains, Wimpy can sneak food his way. Every time Hassan... see, Or is it Hassad? Uh, it's Hassan, I think. Yeah. Every time Hassan, like, briefly would not look to drink or something, Wimpy would manage to move the chains just enough to get one of the roast chickens right to him. 
Hey, must be thieves around here. <laughs> Clever. Yeah. So Popeye leaps in and demands the stolen goods be returned. And Hassan knocks him right into the wash where Olive finds him. The, I want to add in the moment that Popeye also takes a second to throw another turkey or another roast chicken to uh, Wimpy. <laughs> but Hassan continues the assault, knocking him into a series of goons in pots, punching him ever further down the line and into a trap door where a pool of sharks awaits. This was before they invented the concept of frickin' laser beams. <laughs> Funny thing is, the Austin Powers is not the first place I've is not the earliest case that I've seen laser beams on sharks. They actually did that in Centaurians of all things. Oh, I almost wonder if that's where they got it. Maybe. Well, either way, Centaurians is on the list. So, as expected, Popeye pulls out the infamous can of spinach and eats it and has a giant-ass tank appear on his bicep. You almost forgot the best part. Open says me! That's right. <laughs> but the beatdown is on, and Popeye demonstrates the many ways you can count to 40 as he punches the thieves every time they rush him. Maybe Nintendo should have made him the star of the math game and not Donkey Kong Jr., <laughs> I, I I agree only because the concept of Popeye teaching English seems like a terrible concept. Mm -hmm. This is the guy who literally created the word disgustipated. Yes. And the fight's admittedly shorter. We get some good gag work with Popeye playing uh, hide-and-seek from within Abu Hassan's clothes and punching him at every turn. But it's not quite as elaborate as the Sinbad fight. No, it's more gag-centric, especially with stuff like the uh, bowling gag with all the thieves. In the end, the thieves have to personally pull their stolen goods to the waiting people of the unnamed city. <clears throat> I may be a shorty, but I licked the 40. I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. Toot toot. Excuse me while I get some milk. <laughs> okay, there would be one final two-real color feature themed to Aladdin, which wound up culturally overshadowed by this little thing you might have heard of called, uh, what was it again? Oh yeah, Walt Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Yeah. Though uh, that one gets a little fourth-wally with, <laughs> with if I remember right, all of telling you about the movie before it happens, or the mm -hmm. feature, which is an interesting gag. But yeah, it's kind of hard to fight the first full-length animated motion picture. In America, which, at least. Yeah, which multiple people thought was not going to work out and that it was going to be Disney's failure, but nope. No. Fleshers would try their hand at uh, full-length feature films, and yeah, that didn't work out so well. Yeah, Gulliver's that. Travel would be the most prominent instance. But by that point, the professional relationship between the Fleischer brothers was hitting the skids. Yep. Also didn't help that, uh, you know, I think Paramount was expecting them to do something, a feature film with, like, Popeye or something, and not, you know, what they ended up doing. And Gulliver yeah. Travels went way over budget. That was one of the reasons why Paramount would buy the studio, fire the Fleischers, and redub it Famous Studios. Yeah, the Fleischers tried to make a comeback with 
the Superman shorts, but it didn't work. No. The final Popeye short under the Fleischer Studios name would be 1942's Baby Wants a Battleship. But the Popeye shorts would continue under the new famous management. While they weren't terrible, they didn't quite reach the heights of the Fleischer ones either. And also as they went on, they started to get more and more uh, repetitive. Mm. The first few years of the famous shorts actually aren't bad, but... And while some of the later ones are so good, they really just get to a point where almost every single short is literally... It all, it's like, all of sees Pluto, thinks Pluto's hot, ignores Popeye, Pluto beats up Popeye, Popeye uses spinach, beats up Pluto, rinse, repeat. Or some other person in Pluto's place. The famous studio run would end roughly 15 years after they began with 1957's Spooky Swabs. I, I do want to throw in, though, that one of the famous shorts has actually has Popeye shoot a freaking guy. So, Oh, yikes. goodness. Shoots a guy voiced by Arnold Stagg, of all people. But yes. Oh. <laughs> the, the, the short-lived character they created named, I think his name was Shorty or something like that, and he oh. appears in the whole three shorts. You mentioned but, Arnold Stang, and now I'm imagining uh, Top Cat trying to scam Popeye. <laughs> See, but yeah, this movie character the... doesn't know what he's doing. Watch a real <laughs> pro go to work. <laughs> Nothing, <laughs> but yeah, one of those shorts is really kind of messed up. It's about like Shorty's upset that nobody likes him, and Popeye invites him to come to his uh, come with him to see Olive for his birthday. And Shorty ends up ruining Popeye's birthday. And Olive is like, and thinks everything was Popeye's fault. Angry at Popeye. Throws the pie in his face. Oh, and also throughout this whole short, Shorty keeps like trying to shoot himself. And like Popeye would stop it. And I think Popeye stops it and takes the gun from him at one point. And then you don't see that gag anymore. And then at the end of the episode, like... Shorty ruined Popeye's birthday, and and Popeye's just fed up. He's like, Shorty, you've ruined my birthday. And right then, all of, like, throws a freaking cake into his face. He's like, here's your cake. And he, and uh, Shorty's, and, like, it's in a dark area, so the only thing that's keeping any light is the candle on the cake. And Shorty's like, oh, at least you got your cake. Let me uh, blow out the candle. And after he blows out the candle and everything's dark, you just see a gunshot. And that's the end of the episode. It just says the bitter end and ends. Yikes. Yeah, it's like, what the Whoever wrote that must have been having the worst day of their life. Yeah, I was like, that's some of the darkest freaking humor I have seen in these short, any like old school theatrical short. And some of those get pretty dark. Mm-hmm. So did Popeye ever return to theaters besides that one Robin Williams movie? Uh, technically, no. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we're still waiting on that feature film for King Features that Gennady Tartakovsky has been on and off and off and on for quite some time. I really hope it happens because that teaser animation they did was so awesome. It was. But while this was the end of the theatrical shorts that we just described, tune in next time as we look at the unusual beginning of Popeye's made-for-television cartoons. It's fun. <laughs> it, it, it's, 
It's fun for all the right and wrong reasons. Yes. Hey, and we get a brief appearance of what remained of famous studios. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, I'm off to disavow spinach and return to breakfast cereal. See ya! The companion changed to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast! The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Shawn Michael Smith.